the resurrection body, and we addressed the two questions that are raised in 1 Corinthians 15. The first is, well, how is that possible that the dead be raised? And it uh, is responded to in two different ways. First it says, thou fool. And uh, we mentioned that that does not mean people who are ignorant, but rather uh, people who reject the wisdom and power of God. Uh, Certainly God who created the heavens and the earth is capable of raising uh, our bodies physically no matter how uh, disintegrated they become, no matter if they've been uh, destroyed in, in, a, in a bombing, in a war, cremated, you name it, uh, God has the power and has the ability and will raise uh, the physical body. And then uh, secondly, uh, it is answered by uh, saying that it is like a seed that's put in the ground that comes forth. And from that we learn the second thing, what is the body like? And the emphasis of 1 Corinthians 15 is it's like this body, but yet different. Like this body, but different. And uh, it says uh, there's one body that of the earthly, there's another body of the heavenly. Uh, and just as the stars differ in glory, so these bodies differ in glory. Um, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Our resurrection body is going to be even more fearfully and wonderfully made. It is going to be an improvement, if you will, on this body. It's going to be a marvel. But what uh, more can we say about the resurrection body than that? Well, tonight we're going to try to ascertain uh, in what ways are our resurrection bodies similar to our present bodies, but yet different. Our theme is that the believer's resurrection body will be similar to Christ's resurrection body. Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory to the exertion of the power that he had even to subject all things to himself. So Philippians 3.21 teaches us that our resurrection body is going to be similar to Christ's resurrection body. Therefore, to consider what Christ's resurrection body is like will help us to understand what our resurrection body is like. So what I've attempted to do this evening is chart out, if you will, uh, what we can learn about Christ's resurrection body from the resurrection appearances. So as we look at the appearances that Christ made to his disciples after he rose, what can we learn from those passages specifically about his body? I'm not interested in other things, but just simply, what do those passages reveal to us about that body when Jesus appeared to his disciples after the resurrection? So the first we are going to look at is Luke 24, 13 to 22. This is Jesus uh, on the uh, meeting with the uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus. Behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about all those things which had taken place. Number one, we find out that Jesus would have looked like himself recognizable in his resurrection body. 
And the reason that the disciples did not recognize Jesus was because they were miraculously prevented from recognizing him. Luke 24, 15. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. That's key. Uh, had their eyes been allowed to function normally, they would have recognized Jesus. But they were prevented from doing so. And he said to them, what are all these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. Later they do recognize Jesus when their eyes were opened, not when his physical appearance changed. Luke 24, 31. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. My point is he didn't at that point morph into looking like he did prior to the crucifixion, but rather he opens their eyes and uh, he, they see him for who he is. Secondly, Jesus was able to eat food in his resurrection body. And it came about when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Now, in all fairness, um, the text does not at this point explicitly say that Jesus ate, but rather that he gave food to the disciples. But it doesn't explicitly say that he himself ate. But keep that in the back thought, and we'll move on. And Jesus' body may have been mystical. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. He just disappeared. He's there, and then the next moment, he's gone. Luke 24, 33, I'll make some conclusions at the end of these, these passages. Luke 24, 33 to 43. Jesus' resurrection may have been mystical. Um, resurrection body may have been mystical. And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were uh, with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he is recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst. In the Emmaus passage, he approached them. So he's walking on the road, just like anyone would walk on the road. In this passage, he just is in their midst without a process. But boom, he's there. Next, Jesus' body was comprised of flesh and bone. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your body? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Now, that is a very important portion because these are Jesus' words explaining his body. And it tells us that it is made up of flesh and bone. So we're talking about a physical body. And Jesus in his resurrection body was able to eat food. And while they 
still could not believe it for joy and were marveling. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. So in the previous passage, he distributes it. Did he eat or not? We don't know. But in this passage, it's very clear. He did eat this food. John 20, 11, 18. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stopped and looked into the tomb. This is obviously uh, Mary outside uh, the empty tomb on Resurrection Day. And she beheld two angels in white, sitting one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Here, Jesus' body does not seem to be recognizable. When she had said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there, and did not know it was Jesus. Here we don't have that added statement that we had in Luke on of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, that they didn't recognize Jesus because their eyes were holdened, or their eyes were prevented from uh, seeing Jesus. We don't have any such statement in this particular passage. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus' resurrection was not glorious in splendor. Uh, it did not shine. For she supposed him to be a gardener. Uh, most gardeners that I know don't illuminate. They don't, don't shine. I, I say that because... Uh, if you think of the Sunday school materials that oftentimes are distributed and uh, anything that has the resurrected Lord on it sometimes has you know, light waves coming off of it. Uh, he's, he's got this iridescent glow or there are kind of shooting stars out of, out, out of his, his body. Well, there, there's nothing in the scripture that would lend us to think of his resurrection body at all in that way. Number three. So why did, not, why did Mary not recognize Jesus? Because I think that as we look at the word of God, there are uh, numerous passages that would tell us that he was recognizable. So why wasn't he recognizable on this instance? Well, first and foremost, Mary thought that Jesus was dead. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord and do not know where they have laid him. Um, she assumes that the body's been stolen, not that it's been resurrection, uh, not that it's been resurrected. She did not expect to see Jesus. Secondly, because Mary was not looking directly at Jesus. John 20, 14. And when she had said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. However, this was a mere glance over her shoulder. It was like this. We know that in the Greek, and I'm going to prove it to you even in the English. So he's behind her, he's talking to her, and she turns like this. Um, one thing that, that I have learned sitting in a wheelchair is that you have very little peripheral vision behind you. Uh, when people would come up behind me, I didn't know who it was that was 
approaching. I could only turn so far. And uh, I wasn't able to see them. Uh, I knew that someone was there. And I believe that that is what is taking place in this particular instance. For notice, it is not until a few moments later that Mary actually turns around to face the person that she is speaking to. John 20, 15. She said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Suppose me the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And then we find she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means master. And here the word turn means to turn completely around. I think you can get the picture of this resurrection morning. Jesus, uh, Mary's outside the tomb and she's looking in the tomb. She's preoccupied with the tomb, wondering where they have taken the body of Jesus. There is someone who approaches behind her. She turns around uh, enough to see that someone is there and she expects that it's the gardener. And so is continually fixated on the tomb and its emptiness as she's talking to the gardener. Once Jesus refers to her by name, she turns now and sees Jesus and recognizes him for who he is. So I see a consistency here. Number four, would Jesus' body be defiled by Mary touching him? Uh, the old school, uh, sometimes you'll read commentaries that would teach that uh, Jesus rose from the dead, but yet not had ascended to the Father. And in that particular state, uh, his body could be defiled. Uh, that, unfortunately, comes out of a poor translation of the King James. Notice John 20, verse 17. Jesus said unto her, this is the King James, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But if you look at C, on the next page, Mary, Mary actually did touch Jesus. The phrase literally means to stop clinging to me. John 20, 17, Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Also the NIV, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. The idea is that she embraced him and didn't want to let him go. And he's saying, I can't stay with you forever. Uh, I have to ascend to be with my father. I must leave you. But it isn't the idea that his body would somehow be defiled if she would have touched him. And he would have been unclean and then unacceptable to God and our sins wouldn't have been forgiven and all this other stuff. Well, that, that's just not right. Okay, uh, That's not the basis of our forgiveness. It's his sacrificial work on the cross. Defilement wasn't going to come from outside. And we know that because B, others touched Jesus and it did not defile him. Uh, we're going to see that in just a moment. So D, the issue was that Mary did not want to let him go. However, he must go. Number one, John 20, 24 to 29. Jesus' body was mystical. 2019, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. So now this becomes even more apparent. 
They are gathered together in a room, fearful of being persecuted. Jesus has been crucified. And they're hunkering down and trying to take solace and protect themselves by locking the door and making sure that no one can come in. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is there. Number two, Jesus' body was recognizable. After he said this, that is that they should not be afraid, they thought he was a ghost. After this, he said, after, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when, keyword, they saw the Lord. So they saw the Lord. They saw his hands and his side. Number three, Jesus' body was mystical. Thomas was not there on that occasion. The disciples told Thomas what had happened. Thomas' response is this, verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I shall see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, again, his disciples were inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst. Four, Jesus' body was marred. The other disciples, therefore, were saying to him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I shall see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas says, I don't believe any of this. And I'm not going to believe that Jesus rose from the dead until I can put my hand in the wound of his side and I can feel those very nail prints uh, in his hands. John 20, 27. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger and see my hands. Reach here your hand and put it into my side. And be not unbelieving, but believing. And Jesus' body was recognizable. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believed. And so Thomas said, I'm not going to believe unless I, I see those, those nail prints in his hands and the wound in the side. And Jesus invites him and says, Come here. Reach out your, reach out your hand. Touch them. Touch the nail prints. See that they're real. Touch my side. See the wound. So, consideration of the, the findings of these texts. And we realize that they are sketchy at best. But what can we learn from them? Let's start with what we know to be clear. The scripture is clear that Christ's resurrection body is made up of flesh and bone. Um, it is, in fact, a physical body. And our resurrection bodies are going to be, in fact, physical bodies made up of flesh and bone, even as these bodies are made up of flesh and bone. Number two, uh, excuse me, number one, the mystical aspect is a bit complexing. How does a body of flesh and bone pass through walls and closed doors? How does that happen? The explanation can be twofold. A, 
So the ability to pass through the walls and closed doors is not a unique property of Christ's resurrection body, but rather a manifestation of his deity. There is an incident in Christ's earthly ministry which could have a bearing on this. Luke 4, 28, 29, and 30, And all the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they rose up and cast him out of the city, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built, in order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went his way. So, in this account, they are upset with Jesus. They carry him out, and they're going to throw him off a cliff. And all of a sudden, he's just walking away from this this situation. How did he do that? Well, he did it because he was the Son of God. Uh, I personally believe that the miraculous appearings of Jesus in which he's coming through closed doors is not a product of his resurrection body, but a product of his deity. In other words, I don't particularly think we're going to be able to walk through doors. And uh, our heavenly bodies are going to have that particular property, just as his earthly body had some properties that ours didn't. Jesus could walk on water. Go home and try it. Okay? And uh, you soon will find that you can't walk on water. He could do it because he was, he was God, and he commanded Peter to walk on water, and he was able to do it. Uh, but that is not a property of our body. So I'm just saying to you, that might well be a unique property because that Jesus is the Son of God. B, the second explanation would be that the resurrection body has mystical qualities that are different from our earthly bodies. Um, I don't know. Next, the scripture is also clear that Jesus ate food in his resurrection body. It says that specifically. He, he ate with them. It is therefore reasonable to assume that we too will be able to eat in our resurrected bodies. Therefore, the passages regarding our eating may be taken literally. He hath in here, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches, to him that overcome will I give to eat in the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Top of the next page. He said unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Key word there, supper. There are many instances of, of feasting in the book of Revelation. There is that promise uh, to the disciples. You will not eat of this until you eat it with me again in the kingdom. So there are a lot of quote-unquote eating passages so A, the fact that one can eat in the resurrected state is reasonable to assume. Is it a necessity for us to eat in the resurrected state? I don't think so. We have eternal life. Have you, you probably have heard the old adage, some people uh, eat to live and some people live to eat. Okay, So we're in the live to eat stage uh, in uh, the resurrection body. We're, we're eating not for sustenance, but as a joyous, blessed experience. C. It seems to me that the idea of eating the resurrected state is more for pleasure 
than for sustenance. Um, three, inferences from the duality of Christ's body being at times recognizable and other times unrecognizable. I believe that there are good and sufficient explanations why on certain occasions that Jesus was not recognized. It seems to me that we will look as we do now in our resurrected bodies. Uh, I have said it's the body in the tomb, out of the tomb. Uh, we are going to look like we do now. Number four, inference from his being marred. The Christ bore the scars of the crucifixion is apparent. So the question is, will we bear scars from this life? Here's conjecture on my part. Um, you know, a lot of these things, there just aren't clear-cut answers to. But it's worth mulling it over. It's interesting, as long as you don't take it too far. Uh, I don't think our resurrection bodies are going to be marred. I don't think they're going to have scars. Uh, and I'll give you the reason for this. See, I don't think we'll, we'll bear scars. Our scars are the consequences of sin. Either our own personal sin or the general consequences of sin in a fallen world. Therefore, when sin is done away, when death is swallowed up in victory, all the consequences of sin will be removed. That would include all physical imperfections. Psalm 103, verse 3, who forgives all iniquities, who heals all thy diseases. And that is in the ultimate and final state. So I think that part of the redemptive work of Christ is that he removes all of the consequences of sin in our lives. And so that would include the ramifications it has for our bodies. So two, why then does Christ have scars if we will not? And they are not a result of his own sinfulness, to be sure. They are badges of honor. Zechariah 12.10, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so they will look on me whom they have pierced. And that's talking about in the final state. They will look on me whom they have pierced. We see that fulfillment even with Thomas when Jesus says, look at me and, and see my nail prints in my hands. Revelation 5, 6. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders of the Lamb standing as of slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out in all to the earth. And when they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and break its seals, for thou wast slain and is purchased for God with thy blood. Revelation 5, 12. Worthy, uh, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. It seems to me that much of our worship centers on our grateful appreciation and adoration for Jesus who died in our place. And so that's where I get the idea that these uh, nail prints are actually badges of, of honor. He was worthy to be slain. And it is a constant reminder to us of what Jesus did in our behalf. He was slain before us. Uh, he was marred so that we don't have to be marred. He became sin so that we would be free from sin. 
That's how I'd reconcile those passages in my own mind. Uh, Obviously, there is so much more that we'd like to know. So let me just highlight for you the things that I think are absolutely essential to keep in mind. And that is, we are talking about a physical resurrection. We are talking about flesh and bones. Not talking about something that is ethereal, just floating around in the heaven somewhere. We're talking about these bodies coming forth from the grave. It was Jesus' body in the tomb that came out of the tomb. It's going to be our body that was in the grave. It is out of the grave. I believe we're going to look much like we do. I don't have all the answers. You know, we're going to look 30. Are we going to look 50? Are we going to look the age when we die? What about a child that died? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, But there is a continuation. There is a continuation. There is a redemption of this body. And why I want to stress that so much, because the new heaven and new earth is a continuation of this heaven and this earth. Differences, to be sure, but a continuation. And we are going to live a very real future existence in physical bodies in which it would appear that we can eat and function in very much the same way that we do now. I'm going to unpack that more in Revelation when we look at the eternal state, but we're talking about life. I don't want to give it all away, but I also want to give you enough that you're following me. When we get to Revelation, it really appears that you start talking about language that looks a lot like the Garden of Eden prior to the fall. And I really think that that's going to be the ultimate kind of life and existence we will have. What this life would have been like had there been no fall. That's our future hope. That's our expectation. That's our confidence. And that, I think, should be a bit exciting to us. Think of living a life in which there is no sin or possibility thereof, and how wonderful this world would be if there would have been no sin, and there's no pollution, and there's no all the other things that have come as a result of, of sin. Resurrection body, similar to our present body, but yet different. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your great grace and goodness to us. Thank you for the redemption that we have in the person of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the future hope that we have and the redemption of of these bodies. And we long, O Lord, to be free from sin and uh, the consequences of our unrighteousness and that of sinful mankind in general. Uh, Lord, uh, we long to be delivered, and we are grateful for that which you are going to do through the power and work of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.